Welcome. I'm Stephen Epstein, your host to Healthcare Business Leaders Podcast. Today, I have Jim Bonomo with me, founder and CEO of Caduceus Health. Caduceus Health is a fully outsourced revenue cycle provider that's partnered with Athena. Uh, Jim, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, Stephen. Glad to be here. Really excited to get your perspective on what you're seeing in the healthcare markets from the vantage point of a revenue cycle company. So any sort of introductory thoughts before we jump right in? Yeah, sure. We have installations across the country, so we've got a whole different array of reactions to what's happening out there. You know, we had have had some areas, a couple of our clients are literally in ground zero with thousands of COVID cases coming in. And then we've got other hospitals where they have tents outside and let everybody, all their staff go. And uh, they had four COVID cases. So it's really all over the place. So we're just trying to adapt and run as we can. Excellent. So what are you seeing with regard first, I guess, to your clients and what they're seeing and experiencing? And then we can talk about how your company itself is Sure. Affected. So clients, like I just said, really run the gamut of the experience from being in ground zero to just being on the very periphery and being ready. So I'll start with our clients that are ground zero. They have seen their um, community-based business decimated because of the closures from you know the government organizations, and then you know they're scrambling to try to cover the wave of COVID that's coming in. I mean, we're pretty much beyond it at this point. Uh, we've been running a lot of COVID-based reporting for those clients that have seen a lot of patients presenting with it. And we actually saw the peak of that curve kind of crest around April 12th for those clients, mostly on the East Coast. And then we've seen it kind of start to decline pretty rapidly therein. And we have a couple of clients scattered in the Midwest that are still seeing some bumps. Never really saw it impact COVID-related on our West Coast clients at all. Very little activity. But what we did see was that the fact that they could not see patients, I mean, when these government shutdowns basically said you can't see anybody, no electives or anything, pretty much the clients that did not have any COVID-related cases are laying off hundreds of employees. And I can't think of a worst case situation for our hospital to be in. They didn't get any COVID cases, and now they can't see any elective procedures. And we have two hospitals that I know of laid off 300-plus employees. To start to turn that back on, I think, has to happen pretty soon. Wow. And so do you envision them bring back those folks, or are many of them not going to be So I think the real fear here is, and you know, it's, it remains to be seen. Yeah, so as patients actually start to I gain some confidence and venture back out into the world and try to go see their physician, we're really kind of watching how that volume comes back. And, you know, we're being really cautious on what does that look like? Because what we're experiencing now is you, you're not going to pack a waiting room with patients anymore. So it's going to be a while before we get back to any kind of normalcy in patient volumes. What I envision is our community-based practices, as patients start to come back, are going to really stagger these patients almost like an airport with airplanes. And you're not going to have them sitting in a waiting room. You're going to have people staggered on an hourly or half hourly basis where they come and go. And so there's not going to be any more overbooking or things like that. So I, I actually think, although the volumes we've seen 
come off 45 to 50%. I don't see where they get back to 100% of what we knew was normal. And I think the new kind of patient volume in your practice is going to be around 70 to 80% of what you used to see. And I think what will make up the difference will be telehealth. And we've seen a huge impact in growth in the telehealth. We went from four practices that had telehealth capabilities at one network to literally over 45 within five days where we built out telehealth capabilities for those practices. So you're going to see some telehealth take over. I don't know if it's going to, there's some people out there saying, well, that's the new way of medicine. I don't know about that. I think it's going to take a certain percentage of that office-based visit off, but I think it's going to be a year or two before we're really back to what we consider a normal patient volume in a practice. Interesting. So just a side question relating to that, what are the reimbursements look like on those telehealth visits? Is that something that has been well thought out for a long time, or is that still evolving vis-a-vis the insurance companies and how profitable is it and so forth? Yeah, great question. And I think it's really in the early stages of us kind of seeing where that ends up. I mean, a big help for us was CMS finally kind of recognized telehealth. They gave it an RVU value. They expedited payments. They added some new diagnosis codes. They let us do it from different uh, service department areas. So they really opened it up. And then once we saw CMS kind of deregulate the stranglehold on telehealth, we've seen the insurance companies follow. So it remains to be seen. I, I do see they're paying. I mean, I can give you some quick numbers. We have one client that I don't even think they registered on the in the scoreboard as far as payments for telehealth. And I just actually looked at their reporting for last month and you know they're up to about 500,000 in payments for telehealth how that compares to an office visit and what's the time commitment per physician and the value per RVU we need a month or two to kind of start looking at the stats cuz those literally those payments just started coming in and i think it's going to be something we look at carefully in the coming months Excellent. I think that's very helpful. I'm sure our listeners are going to be very curious to see what's the financial impact of telehealth and telemedicine, because clearly there's a trend toward it, but understanding the financial repercussions and whether it's more profitable or less profitable is something that administrators are going to really have to to get their arms around. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. I think it's one of the biggest areas of analytics we're looking at right now. Big interest to our clients. We're running reporting by provider, by service site just to kind of show what kind of volumes we have and what is it actually replacing. So jury's out on what we come up with, but happy to circle back with you in a couple of months and let you know what we have. Great. Well, that's how the providers are impacted. How are you specifically as a revenue cycle company impacted? Patient volume's obviously down across the board. So that's going to reduce the number of cases that you're working on. Beyond that, what, what do you see? Yeah, it's interesting. So early on in this whole kind of exercise, we, we made a commitment not to uh, reduce our workforce. We felt that keeping all of our employees employed would be a prudent kind of move coming out of this thing. And so personally, our company was able to go remote within 48 hours. We always had the capability because of our partnership with Athena Health to actually go remote. We had about 85% capability to do that. The only areas that didn't have that capability was our call centers. And it took us about seven days to to get them out and ported out. So we went to about 100% remote in, I'd say, within 10 days. 
And so we're very fortunate because I think if you have a back office operation or a call center that doesn't have technology enabled options, you're not going to have 70 people in a room anymore. One person walks in with COVID and pretty much you're out of business. So our ability to actually go remote and decentralize, I think, is going to be a core competency uh, moving forward, you know, not just for us, but for any company that has the technology enabled to, to be able to do that. And then internally, we've done a lot of um, cross training. So we, we actually took our call center staff. Obviously, patient volumes went down on the phone and uh, redeployed them into working their accounts receivables for our clients. So we're doing a lot of cross-training with internally. And for us, I think we come out of this stronger. You know, you always say you want to do that, but you never have time. Well, this was a perfect opportunity to say, well, the volume's not there, so let's get people retrained in different areas. So for that part, it's, it's been a positive for us. Excellent. So what changes do you think that you guys are making that are going to stick around for the long term as a result of this. Obviously, working from home, working remotely is a big trend across a broad spectrum of companies. What's here to last? Yeah, great question. And you know, in the first few days when I um, came back into the office, and I've been fortunate enough, I live in the same town where our office is in Jersey City. So I go between my house and my office and I've been able to kind of come in here. But uh, you know, looking around the office on the first day, I said, well, boy, what am I going to do with all this space? Because I really think a lot of these people are not going to come back. I think we will actually be able to let them work from home in the future, knowing that the capability exists. And so our directive was there's no rush to come back. But for those employees that do need to come back or want to come back, I think we'll do that on a kind of rotational basis. And then the employees that do want to ultimately come back permanently at first, I thought, hey, I don't need all this office space anymore. But then my second thought was, well, actually, you do, because the people that do come back are going to need a lot more space between them than they used to have. So I think you're going to see a big move towards people not migrating back to the office. You know, the people that do migrate back will have self-distancing within the office. So, you know, at first I thought there was going to be an office space glut, but now I'm kind of thinking companies are actually going to have to expand their office space and go back to that like 1950s model. When you see those TV shows with one person with an office and a receptionist outside and they're taking up about 450 square feet, I think that's where we're headed back to as far as office space goes. Interesting. Yeah, it makes you wonder whether or not people are going to reconfigure their space for a rotating workforce of like what you're talking about. So is the office layout of a traditional place where it envisions everyone working there all the time different than like what you're saying, where you need a certain amount of space for the people that are there all the time, but now you need to accommodate a, a workforce that maybe only comes in once a week or a couple times a month. So do you have to refigure and reconfigure larger common areas and more meeting rooms and more conference rooms? And, and yeah, so no, I think it's going to be a big question. You know, I'm walking around my office this morning and I see that there are HR people who are in here and they've already taped off, you know, every other desk. And that's not going to stay like that, right? I mean, it just looks awful. So you're right. I mean, there's going to be some reconfiguring going on. I think especially in the call center area, those people had even less space than our normal reps that do the follow-up and credentialing and things like that. I mean, they were really packed together. I mean, that's all going away. They're all going to have 
what regular size cubicle at this point. And for some call centers, that's going to be a big task. I mean, if you're pumping 100 people into a room and you're used to having those people in a three by three cubicle, those days are over. So you're either going remote or you're going to start giving people a lot more space. Right. Well, it's, it's interesting because whether the government mandates that or whether that's just a practice that businesses implement. I see things around liability, um, trying to go into make sure that businesses are protected because that's a big concern. You bring people back and somebody has COVID and then four people walk out and they all have COVID. And, you know, what's the liability now? For a company that says come back to work, which is one of the reasons we're just taking the slow road and just saying, look, stay where you are. We'll be the last to come back. I want to wait to see how all that gets ironed out before we do anything. Interesting. So you think it's going to be how many months? You know, I see us uh, in this kind of quasi mode for at least another six to eight months where we're kind of bumping along the bottom, figuring things out. I know they're trying to bring the economy back and I'm all for it, but there's just too many unknowns. And I think it's just going to be a cautious kind of return. No big bang. This is going to have to be kind of feel it as you go. So what other what other long term changes do you see in the business besides how you organize your employees? Are you managing people differently? Are you managing your the management team? Are they set up? differently? Yeah, so. We're fortunate that we're partnered with Athena Health, and that it gives us a lot of tools to ma actually manage productivity across our workforce. And all of that kind of management and supervision is done via the software. So we didn't really have to layer in any new technology when people went home. They're logging into the same software every day. The supervisors are looking at the same productivity rates. And I'm, I'm pretty amazed that we actually, our, our productivity stayed pretty consistent with what gets done in the office. I think that's one of the biggest surprises that I've had kind of from where I sit is definitely would have thought that people working from home, they're going to got to feed the kids, they got to do this, let the dog out. And that's great. We're all for do what you got to do. And I think people have adapted very well because our productivity, I can tell, has stayed extremely strong. I mean, we're, we're still in the 90 percentile range of what our normal processes are. And I would have thought that that would have dropped into the 70s. So technology, continuing to, to invest in that. Although we have a great kind of IP phone system, whatever, I think we saw some shortcomings when it came to some of the workarounds we needed to have ready for our call center application. And so I definitely see a, a, some investing in our phone system and upgrading in that area. We Again, we were fortunate to have a good CIO, and he kind of took us into the cloud a couple of years ago. So we don't really rely on any servers that are sitting in our office or anything like that. We're all AWS. We have been for two and a half years. I think if you haven't done it already, a look at your technology, your ability to decentralize. And because I don't think this is the last time we're going to be going through this anymore. I think it's going to be the new norm and you're going to have to be ready for it in business. The, the model of having 70 people posting payments in a room uh, is over. So what do you think in terms of the long-term trends? Where do you see the growth in your business coming from? You've obviously not, you said, laid off anybody as a result of this specifically. So if you want to grow, where are you focusing your energy and attention? Well, traditionally, our core clientele were really those enterprise clients. I mean, our typical client, our, our smallest client really is around 30 physicians. Our largest client is probably 500 plus. 
And those are usually networked under a single entity or a tax ID number. Where we've seen our growth, and I think it's going to accelerate, is where clients are looking for a robust software platform, which is what they get with Athena, and then full service entity that actually runs that software in a decentralized manner. So you will never have 100 people sitting on your campus running your revenue cycle. Uh, we see a lot of growth in those areas where that's a huge vulnerability. We've already had several calls from some companies that, you know, they're on legacy technology, don't have the ability to go remote. You have 100 people plus sitting in a room doing their work. And when the COVID walks in, everybody has to scatter. And if you can't decentralize, you're out of business. And so I see a huge growth opportunity for us in all those kind of situations where there's vulnerability with technology. And if you don't want to go out and buy that yourself, you can actually contract with us to provide that whole level of service, right? From the software to the people that run it. And so I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities coming out of this. And it's one of the reasons we kept our powder dry and not let any of our extremely talented staff go, try to rebuild that after this. We want to hit the ground running when things start to reopen. And I think if you have smart leaders in a lot of those institutions, they're going to realize they have a huge vulnerability. And they may not have been hit this time, but next time they're probably thinking, well, we got to do something to secure and decentralize. Good. That's helpful. So in terms of failing providers who are going insolvent as a result of many months of not being able to be in business, there's probably a wave of mergers and acquisitions coming, consolidation. How do you see that trend playing out? Do you see that trend beginning? Just give me your thoughts on that. Sure. I haven't seen it yet. I mean, I think people are still kind of in shock and walking around um, shell-shocked after what's gone on. But we started to see, and we've been seeing, a consolidation of the smaller practices joining either private equity firms or you know larger hospital organizations that have bought up practices. And yeah, I think it's going to be really difficult for some of these guys to weather the storm. This is going to really drive what's left of the independent practice into the arms of a larger institution that can probably help them weather weather a storm like this. Although those larger institutions also laid off people and put people on the sidelines, I think they're going to be faster to come back than somebody who's decimated and had to lay off three people that used to schedule their appointments and now they have to go and find new employees. I think the larger institutions, they may have furloughed people, but as the buy-in comes back, they'll bring them back. And there's a stable kind of organization underneath the whole thing. I think this is going to drive the independent physician even faster into the arms of the mothership private equity deals. Excellent. Any other thoughts that you want to share in terms of your predictions on where the opportunities are going to lie in the future here in the broader healthcare business? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, obviously we touched on telehealth before. I think, you know, I think that's definitely here to stay. I think it's going to take up a percentage of what used to go to the office. So I think practices really need to get a good strategy on and how to utilize that. And that's going to take some learning. I think there's certain benefits to actually seeing your doctor in the office, but I think we're going to have to come to the new reality of when is that appropriate and when can I do something over the phone via telehealth. So that's that's a big part of it. And then managing the reduction in patient volume for many of these practices is going to go on for months. And how do you retain your staff, keep your providers busy as we rebuild the economy and the patient volumes? 
I think that that's another lesson that we're going to continue to learn as we go through it. Excellent. And how do you see, as a last question here, the government responding, legislation evolving and changing, driving some of the future changes? Well, you know, I think some good can come out of it. I, I do believe that the industry itself has been slow to adopt interoperability. And I think you have some of the dominant players in the market like Epic who haven't really wanted to share data with other third-party applications. And I do believe you're going to actually see a push now to make that happen much more quickly. Epic doesn't have the answer for everything. And when you have a player like that in the market that's so dominant, I think you really need to have an opening up of the communication channels between those systems. You can't be nimble and do things responding to an epidemic like this and be waiting for some big behemoth in technology to kind of adapt and come up with a new answer. I think the answer to that is there's millions of little applications that can solve this problem. I mean, one of them and what you're seeing today is the adaptability of telehealth and how quickly that was able to come to market. Yeah, there are a lot of players out there, but I think we, we, you know, we gained like 10 years on the evolution of telehealth in literally weeks. And to have that kind of evolution in the market, you need open communication and you need to share data. So I definitely think there's going to be a change in, in regard to that and in our ability to respond more quickly. As far as the response in the government to the pandemic, I really think, I, you know, everyone's talking about the next wave, the next wave. There's going to be another one in the fall and the winter. I think what they need to do is be a little bit more regionally sympathetic to the response. When you have the whole country locked down and you've got hospitals responding to the epidemic the same way in, in California, the same way they are in New York, which is a hot center, I think that puts a world of hurt on the whole healthcare economy. So I think we need to have a more measured response to where the hotspots really are. And I think the next time around, now that we know more and we have more data around how this virus reacts and interacts, that we'll be able to do that. But the simple fact that we have clients shutting down with 10 COVID cases and laying off 400 people, that's insane. I think we got to be a lot smarter in the future on what the reaction is, how do we shut down, and how do we reopen instead of this kind of blanket policy across the country. I don't think that's going to work the second time around. Excellent. And do you see the government mandating compliance or work from home or these other types of systems? I don't think the government's going to mandate that. I think, thank God we live in a capitalistic society. I think the economy, the businesses themselves will drive that. I think that's just going to be what is the outcome of the new reality. And God forbid we layer on more regulation on what we all have to do or can't do. I think you let the market determine that. They can lay out the guidelines of what we need to do and how we need to do it, but let the let the market decide who the winners and the losers are on, on how we go forward from here. Excellent. Any concluding thoughts or words of inspiration that you want to give others across the healthcare business landscape who may be exposed to consulting or all different sorts of, of channels? Uh, in the support side, working with providers? You know, I, there's definitely light at the end of the tunnel, and it's not a train. I'm positive about how we come out of this. In a, in a way, I do believe that it was kind of a resetting that we all needed. Things were bumping along. They're great. I'm not saying we needed a pandemic to do it, but I I do believe, and just from our own experience, we've gotten better at what we do. And my, as my friend said, and my CIO, 
you only know how to sail through a hurricane once you've sailed through a hurricane. That's what we're doing. And when you're sailing through a hurricane, everything counts, right? You get better at what you're doing. You get better at sailing. You get better at managing the next wave. And I think that's what we all just went through. And we're going to come out of this hurricane. It's going to look really good when we're on the other side. Fantastic. Jim is an avid sailor, in case you uh, didn't know, as am I. And we look forward to sailing together at some point in the future. Jim, thank you so much for your time today. Caduceself.com if you'd like more information. Jim Bonomo, thank you again for your insight. I learned a lot and very excited to, to hear more as things evolve. That's great. Thanks, Stephen. Great talking with you. Talk to you soon. Thanks.